Talkers. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 19. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about all things Metallica. I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Nick Calmer, better known as Animal, lead singer for legendary hardcore punk band Anti-Nowhere League. A year after their formation, Anti-Nowhere League found themselves in the top 50 on the UK singles chart with their 1981 piss take of English folk singer Ralph McTell's Streets of London. The B-side of that single was even more fantastically audacious and ridiculous. Thanks to the outrageous lyrical content of So What, the Metropolitan Police's obscene publication squad seized copies of the Anti-Nowhere League single from the distributor. The band played shows with fellow influential groups like The Damned, The Exploited, and The Meteors until real-life responsibilities and the reality of the financial side of the small punk band ended Anti-Nowhere League in 1987. Fast forward to 1992. Metallica invites Animal on stage with them at Wembley Arena. The renewed interest in Anti-Nowhere League via Metallica's own B-side treatment of So What inspired a resurrection of the band, who went on to tour and perform with the likes of Motorhead, Sham 69, Angelic Upstarts, and UK Subs. In this wide-ranging conversation, Animal tells me about his beginnings as an outlaw biker, discovering the punk scene, getting thrown off of Britain's hit TV show Top of the Pops for hiding an axe in his leather jacket, performing with Metallica in 1992 and again at the 30th anniversary shows in San Francisco, the origin of the lyrics to So What, raising a family, his upcoming autobiography, and the forthcoming Anti-Nowhere League documentary film. Before we get into that, in case you've never heard the original version, here it is in full, the Anti-Nowhere League with So What. So fucking what? So what? So what? So what? So what? You boy, now cut 
So here it is, my conversation with Animal of Anti-Nowhere League. This is Speak and Destroy. I feel like... um, so many of us, if it wasn't for this kind of music, uh, you know, it's like jails, institution, or death were the other choices. <laughs> so. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it, it is. It, um, it, it only the guys who who involved with it know that it, it did save us from uh, from from alternative lifestyles. So, um, um, you know, I'm I'm, I'm one, always one for for helping now on the the up and coming music scene in, in my local town because uh, I know it did me a lot of good. So. Um, I think I think I did good anyway, uh, Ryan. I, I I think uh, at the end of the day I'm still alive, and uh, you know people still like me. So <laughs> people, meaning my family. <laughs> yeah, I, I I just was refreshing my memory this morning on the uh, Rolling Stones recap of the Metallica 30th anniversary shows, and yeah, th- yeah. that Rolling Stone took special notice of you as and of all the myriad of guests that were there that night. Um, that you performed, they put you at the the top of the most exciting, <laughs> and the one well, and the guy who towered over well, everyone. Obviously, the guy was obviously drunk, wasn't he? So it's uh, <laughs> it, it was a it was a good night because uh, it, it was um, um, I, I don't, obviously the second time I've been on stage with them, uh, and we had to go along obviously to sound check and stuff. So it was. Um, I won't say I was used to it, but obviously the first time when we did it, uh, when I did it back in 92, it was a little bit of an eye-opener. You know, obviously being as, uh, you know, a small-time punk band, suddenly jumping on stage at Wembley, um, you know, with um, 10,000 punters standing there looking at me. uh, This one here is, uh, I think it's the B-side of uh, the Unforgiven thing. Gonna have to invite uh, someone up here to do some singing for us from uh, Anti Nowhere League. His name is Animal, and I think the song is something like "So Fucking What." Yeah. How you doing, all right? It's a little number they just fucked up from us, and they ain't fucking paid me yet. All right. <laughs> Most I'll get out of this song, alright? It's called So Fucking What? It, it was a little bit hairy, but this time was, uh, it didn't matter so much now. <laughs> well, fuck it, you know. I've already passed the point of no return. I thought, well, fuck it, it doesn't matter, you know. So it was, uh, you know, it was, it was more fun, should we say, the second time around than it was. Uh, you know, the first time. I think I shit myself the first time, but the second time was uh, party time, so it was easy. It was easier. We from the UK and the empty Noel salute ya! But so fucking what? As you're putting together this documentary, have you been have you uh, done the sit-down interviews for that yet, or is that still coming? 
I've I've done a few. Um, they've done live stuff, and obviously people were around me, um, people involved with it. I was hoping that Lars was going to be involved. I haven't spoke to the, the people who, who who are filming it at the moment, but I know that they had an appointment with Lars. Um, um, but they they've been out in California. They they um, interview with um, um, Stuart Copeland, and I think uh, guys from Rancid and stuff. So they, they've been they, they've been talking to a lot of people and i haven't had a catch up lately who 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 has done what but um yeah i think there's quite a few people involved in this documentary which is uh yeah you know it, 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 it's a bit of an eye-opener for me because over the years i didn't realize you know although i went out to say i hope people i hope people you don't realize how many people you pick up along the way who actually you, you quite like <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you sit down and you you, you 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 have them all come back to you and you think fuck fuck you know but uh, you know but anyway, yeah yeah so um, I I'm I'm a little bit in the dark with it but it, it's uh, I think it's going to be quite exciting I think um, it, it, it's going to be a different angle so I'm I'm uh, I could, and also my book is um, going to be out about the same sort of time I think which um, which believe it or not comes from I've actually taken the route of when I went on with Metallica in '92. And uh, until I went back with their uh, party um, 30 years later, on their 30th birthday, um, my book evolves around that period, but it, it goes back to how I grew up, blah, blah, and, and all the trouble I got into, etc. But I've used that as sort of like the backbone part of it, which is, uh, you know, the reason why I'm on stage, I suppose, you know, because obviously after, after 92, it was those guys were sort of, didn't talk me into it, but sort of said, "Why, why isn't the band still going? Why, why aren't you doing it? Why, why, why don't you get back on stage? Why don't you?" So it was a, uh, you know, kick up the arse for me for, to um, uh, to get to get back together with the band in '92. So quite an important time that was for me because otherwise I would have just fucked off and that was it. I think I would have been. Uh, because obviously I was in a building trade, etc. But I, I don't think I would have went back to music in 92 if they hadn't given me a nudge i think um yeah i i was uh obviously hadn't been on stage for quite a few years and uh I, you know i was in the building trade and i was back with my mates and stuff and i and i sort of buried the band but it was uh it was uh good that they you know gave me a kick up the ass really because I, I really enjoy the band now so i'm saying you know i think early in the, in the mid 80s it, uh, mid the late 80s it was pretty dull the punk rock scene for us in in the uk it was uh you know it was like it was like um all dressed up nowhere to go so um, you know pretty much bored bored with it all um but obviously the, the resurgence in in the 90s it started coming back into being uh being exciting again that uh, i was glad i was on board with that so you know i owe it to the boys I love it. Well, and I I didn't realize, you know, with with the documentary and with the book, the serendipity that I happen to come calling right now. <laughs> That's a yeah, nice yeah. nice it, convergence uh, of events. Yeah, it will be. I think. Uh, it, well, if all goes to plan, I, I, I mean, obviously, you don't know. It's all down to the editing, as we know, and everything else. Uh, so, but I, I'm I'm excited the fact that um, um, the story is going to be told. You know, the truth, the whole truth. So I think it's. Uh, it, could be an eye opener and i think if people like me before they won't like me now 
Yeah, they'll find it interesting. But uh, but did you uh, obviously going back to the thirtieth party? Um, it was uh, it was a good time for me because obviously when they they invited me over for, for the thirtieth uh, and that, they invited me and my wife over and said I come over and, and join the party and stuff. But it was uh, it was a bit of an eye opener because. Um, uh, I mean, between the, I obviously before back to in in 1990, I hadn't really heard of Metallica. Obviously, it was, it was still pretty fresh in the UK, and uh, obviously everybody said, "Oh, you, you, they covered so what," and um, you know, you should be pleased, big metal band. But I obviously didn't know that much about them. So obviously, when I went back in to do the 30th party, I'd learnt a lot more about Metallica. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I did like the guys. I did, you know. I mean, they looked after me, right? and uh, you know, I went to dinner with them and that, and uh, you know, nice bunch of blokes. And, you know, and, uh, I'm not going to say I've got a favourite, but I have got a couple of favourites. <laughs> but it, uh, yeah, so they looked after the old punk band, so it, it was good. But obviously, when I went back in uh, for the 30th party, it was very interesting because they obviously paid for the flight for me and the missus, and uh, we, we got on board the plane, and it's the first time in my whole life that I'd ever turned left. On an aeroplane. Are you with me? <laughs> it took me a second. Because usually, yes. <laughs> turn right is where all the shitty seats are, right down the end. We, I'm usually rammed. See, I'm, I'm about six three, so I'm, I'm usually down in a seat near the toilet or something with my fucking legs stuck up around my ears, you know. And it really is 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 a dog shit for me to fly. But to actually walk onto that plane and assure this is direct your left, it was like wow. It was, uh, you know, it was, it was business class. This was, uh, I could put my fucking legs out. It was, it was great, you know. <laughs> and they, they did look after us, because obviously when we got got, got into, um, uh, you know, into San Francisco, we, they, they, we, they looked after us all the time, me and my wife. So they did, that. I, it always astounded me, really. They didn't need to um, be so generous and, and, and be... So, about my me and my wife's well-being it, it it was really it, it quite touching really when you've had um you know a lot of shit thrown at you in the past all of a sudden a couple of genuine you know things like that it it, it makes a lot of difference so uh yes without getting all slushy on you i i, I was um yeah it, it was quite it was uh quite an eye-opener for me that they actually looked after us so well and uh when we we went along, obviously had to um, uh, sound check with the guys, um, and I went up there with them. Obviously, had a little chat with them and everything, and uh, did a sound check, which is quite easy enough because it, it, it's not rocket science, as we know. So what? It's not. Uh, it doesn't take months of preparation that song, which is the beauty of it. But um, and then afterwards, uh, James just sort of said to me, um, "Do you want to come on and um, sing one of Metallica's songs with us?" I said, yeah, sure, no problem, you know. And he said, well, you come up and do um, uh, Sing Destroy. So mm. I said, yeah, no problem, no problem, that's, that's good. So I went off stage and my wife said, what did you just say to James? <laughs> and I said, what did you just ask? I said, he just asked me to come up and sing one of those songs. She said, what song is that? And I said, well, I think it's called Sing Destroy. I said, I've never heard it. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is 
honest to her then, right? She said, oh, for fuck's sake, she said, you're going to stand up in front of thousands of people and sing with Metallica a song you've never heard before. I said, it'll be all right. I said, I'll make it up. I'll make it up. I said, that's punk, isn't it? I'll make it up as I go along. It's all right. She, she went, oh, Christ, that's it. She said, that's it. You're, you're, you're taking the mickey out of me. I was going to actually stand up there like a right, right fucking knob end, you know. So anyway, we, we went back to the hotel. Their driver took us back to the hotel. And a, a, a guy came out from the hotel with a little present. And it had, um, you know, said to Sophie, my wife, and I, and uh, he, he came out and said, oh, Sophie, and she said, yeah, and I said, well, nobody knows we're here, but, so I said, well, take it up to the hotel room, but he said, he took it up there, and uh, opened it up, and there's some flowers and all that for Sophie, and saying, thank you for coming over, and blah, blah, and there was a laptop in there, laptop, computer in there, in the basket, so we immediately went straight, straight on and found the lyrics to Seek and Destroy. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. I don't think Metallica knew that. I don't think they knew that because obviously I was going to make the words up, but I went on, went on with them. I, you know, I, I thought, oh, well, yeah, that's what you do in punk. You make it up. But uh, I actually went pre-armed because of the computer and they sent, gave my wife as a present, and uh, wow. which saved the day, I think, and they didn't probably realize that. <laughs> it would have been great if you would have turned the computer on and the lyrics were the first thing you saw. <laughs> Then you would. Then you would. Well, it, it, it would. It would. It, it would have been fantastically easy. But now we had to go around for them. But it was. Uh, yeah, it was uh, a real eye opener because it was. Uh, you know, I'd, I've never seen so much generosity, really. And I think, uh, you know, they, they. They. And I've seen them a few times and met up with them a few times at different shows and that. And they, they've always, always treated me really, really, really well. And I, you know in this day and age where, where I made so many enemies out in the music business, it, uh, it's refreshing that, uh, you know, some, some rockers actually understand where you're coming from. So it, and, and to think about the scale of um, those shows, I mean, you know, for people who, who may not be familiar, they played 77 songs over four shows. And each, each day had a three or four hour sound check. And then there was a day off where they spent eight hours rehearsing. And then yeah. just the number, yeah. I, don't, I don't even know how many guests, but just the sheer number of guests. And to think that, you know, the, the mechanics of that organization, the way that, you Absolutely. know, for it to run, that, that, they, that they, you know, to think about what they did for you and then to extrapolate yeah. that and magnify it with all the other people they had there. It's uh, what an, oh, uh, quite absolutely. an undertaking, quite an undertaking. Yeah. Yeah, and also the, they they did party afterwards. I mean, they they didn't sort of waft in and waft out like uh, you know some of the artists who were there on the day sort of like uh, you know sort of like hands up against the paparazzi and all this bollocks, which I'm really you know into. And the, but they they were genuinely there with us, in with us afterwards, you know, drinking that. And I think, gosh, you know, that was a that was a pretty much of a, a pretty good route march for those duration of the time they had to be involved to get that show together they have good people working with them so what you know wonderful people i i, I met up with um you know who organized all the things of that and uh yeah obviously they would do wouldn't they i mean this is it you know it's not uh it's not expected that uh, again, so people are going to turn up drunk and fuck up I don't know, so they um but they um yeah hats off to them toby yeah they admirable admirable guys you know and i and i you know I'm glad I can call them pals. I really am. So it... Let's go back and then go forward. You uh, you mentioned okay. um, you know uh, motorcycles, and I know that that's come up in different interviews that I've seen with you over the years, um, and uh, you know getting into uh, a bit of trouble in the younger days. Uh, what, yeah. can, what can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, 
that sort of culture that you came up in as a as a youth? Yeah, I I I think without um, boring the tits off of everybody, I mean, I, I, I brought up the uh, council estate. Um, you know, when the skinheads came in about '67, so I was a young sort of skinhead whelp, eleven-year-old uh, whelp coming up in the estate, and, and he, he was he was had to be in the skinhead scene because uh, he, it was safety numbers. It, you know, that was it. If you were a skinhead, you you your life was pretty fucking miserable. So. And I had a lot of Jamaican mates who taught me into the, you know, all about the reggae scene and stuff, which was all very lovely. And and I I still got my friends now, which uh, which I see. But deep down, I was always, you know, I think my sisters, uh, my oldest older sisters were, were rocker girls. So always a lot of rockers around our house. Although I was a little skinhead whelp, but it, I, the love for motorcycles was for an early age and. Uh, yeah, as I got to an age of starting to, be able to ride motorcycles, I I started getting into motorcycles, started getting into the rock scene, and uh, uh, hand in hand with a load of trouble. But um, yeah, as I morphed from different gangs of motorbike guys, um, so trouble followed you. Um, mm. And I think um, without making such a big deal of it, 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 it caught me up. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> And I had to I had to do a little bit for Her Majesty, but um, and I think uh, um, after that, I mean, obviously hanging out with the sort of heavyweight, uh, you know, uh, motorcycle clubs, um, I think my destiny was something that I I was a little bit concerned about. Uh, I I knew that I didn't want to die, and I knew that I didn't want to end up, you know, doing. Um, years in, in prison and stuff as we know you know many roads to take in life um and i wasn't quite sure i was a bit confused of where i was wanted to go um and i went to live in canada for a bit i went up and uh, you know I, I was told i got to get lost for a little while because uh, things were a bit heated so uh, i went to canada i um i lived in the rocky mountains mm. Well, I was, I was in Canada probably, I think it was about 10 months. I, was, I like to say a year, but I think it was about 10 months by the time I got my act together and came back again. And what year was this? This was 79. Okay. Wow. So, yeah. so, so punk as we, you know, we tend to think of, uh, punk of course, as, you know, 77. Um, yeah. what, what was sort of your, your experience with, with punk as it, uh, began and kind it of never really, it never it. really never never really crossed my path in the early days you know we we were all motorcycles and there was a lot more important things with different uh there was a lot, a lot of clubs running around um you know uh saber rattling and there was a lot more involvement with um, the motorcycle scene than there is nowadays i think yeah. and uh um our, our path never really crossed i never really um Music wasn't, uh, you know, a four thing for me. I, I, I wasn't um, really musically. I used to throw my head about, you know, at, uh, you know, at, at, at dancing or parties, getting drunk, you know, to, to Black Sabbath and all the other, you know, most of us did, you know, or, or Meatloaf or something. Like that. But it was, um, it, it, that's all it was for me, just, uh, you, you know, time to get drunk. Um, but it was only when I came back from Canada in 79 that uh, in the clubhouse in my in the bike club I was with. Um, they had just obviously recharged all the jukebox with, um, you know, Clash, Stranglers. Uh, you know, it, it, was, uh, it was a bit of a revelation for me. 
I suddenly realised that, wow, this was really exciting. Uh, and I think at that point I was I was in two minds what to do when I came back. I I, I, I was a bit lost. Although these guys welcomed me back, open arms, yep, yep, it was good. And they, they gave me another bike and things were, were, were okay. I, I, I knew that something had changed in me. Living in the Rocky Mountains <laughs> does change you. So it was, uh, you know, it was, um, it was time to just sit back and think about things. I think I spent a few months in the Rockies, living in a little log cabin with a girl, and uh, it was um, time to re reevaluate the situation. Well, wanted to head out in life, and then obviously here in the jukebox, came back. And I thought, wow! And then uh, met up with Magoo, who was an old biker, mate, who was a guitarist, and then we started strumming songs together. Um, you know, we we had a great sense of humour over it. Um, and then I found it very easy to write songs and I found it very easy to um, uh, perform on stage without getting into trouble, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I, could, yeah, yes. I, I could get up there and I could shout and scream and tell everyone to go fuck themselves and all that and the coppers wouldn't nick me. And it was like, it, it, it was, uh, yeah, it was good therapy. And I, I, I do feel that, um, you know, I, I learned a lot through the past, but I do feel that it, it, it punk saved me, and it, it was quite interesting. I don't have any. I didn't join a punk band for for sex, drugs, and rock and roll because I, I had that anyway. I, right. I I joined it. I joined it for my own mentality, my own stability, um, and this is what I found the most uh, rewarding from it: that I could beat myself up for a couple of hours on stage. Um, and uh, you know, go and do it the next night without ending up, you know, behind bars. It, it, and it's it's always been without having to, to disappear into the mountains in another country for a year. <laughs> well, know. yeah, I think those days were very easy back then because oh, you didn't need things like visas and stuff. They just stand <laughs> on the border and sort of say, yeah, how much money you got? And I got a few hundred, and I got to go and see see relatives. All right, then fuck off in you come. It was very easy. <laughs> You know, yeah, it is that is difficult now, isn't it, to move about anywhere, as we know. But uh, yeah, life was pretty easy with that way. And I think because um, uh, I used to travel a lot with a with a uh, motorcycle club, anyway, um, you know, it, we used to travel all around Europe and stuff on the bikes, and we, we was always out on runs everywhere. But actually, the band was like um, like another. Another arm from it, really. It was a bit like traveling gypsy, you know, tra traveling circus, and uh, you know, have back wheel travel, and off we went the same like we did on the bike club, you know. So, so it seemed the right move to actually morph into it. And, and all, the guys obviously were a little bit against me leaving, obviously, and saying that uh, you know they got to remove my tattoos with a broken bottle or whatever the, you know, they decided we're going to do. But uh, they, they. Just said, as long as I date them, I'll, I'll be allowed to leave amicably. Leave my bike and date my tattoos. And job done. And I was allowed to leave. So, uh, And then, obviously, the punk scene was uh, quite important to me. It was uh, it suddenly absorbed everything I could do. I, I enjoyed songwriting. I enjoyed, um, you know, traveling. I enjoyed the whole scene. But I didn't do it, like I say, for for any kind of adoration. I, I didn't need, and I didn't want, uh, you know, any type of uh, rock star adoration in it at all because 
I'd just come from all that, and I didn't want that. I just wanted people to dislike me. Oh, they're nice now. They did not. I don't feel the same. Obviously, but uh, now did yeah. did any of those those guys, uh, you know, your old, your old brothers from the old club, did they did they come around at some point and kind of realize like, oh wait, he's he's actually gotten himself into something pretty cool. This is you know, we can come to well, these come to these gigs. Yeah, played a few of their parties, obviously, and a lot of bike club parties. A lot of American GIs were stationed in, um, uh, you know, bikers were stationed in the UK. Um, so we used to go around the, the, the GI places and a lot of Americans, uh, you know, stationed there, motorbike boys, different clubs and stuff. Um, so it, it, although we were a punk band, we still entertained a lot of bikers in the early days. Um, and I still see, I still see them now. I, you know, I, I still ride. Obviously, I've got my Harley, and I, and I still ride down if they, they, they've got a party on. If I'm not away, I'll go down and have a few beers with them. I, I do. Um, I am lucky. I can actually, um, I don't know, cherry pick a little bit. I can, I can be a bit like a butterfly. I can flit in and out of places without mm-hmm. having um, any ties, really. So it's, it's, uh, it, it, I, I think I, I got both. Both sides of the coin. I think I got the best side of everything. So, and yeah, I'm still pals with them, and I'm still pals with a lot, a lot of the bike clubs. And uh, yeah, as long as I don't open my mouth too much about what they get up to, I'm <laughs> Indeed, yeah, indeed. That's it. I learned the rules a long time ago, mate. Yeah, I, I, I would. I, I don't ride myself, but um, I do. I, I have some a, a couple of good friends who are in. Uh, clubs here in America, and uh, and yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. It's you can, yeah. you can you can you can hang around and be cool and social. There's just certain subjects That's that it. you that you avoid <laughs> in conversation. Well, I, I always used to say very easy. I mean, the, the punks, you know, they understand me now because they know that I've always rode motorcycles and stuff, and they've accepted me. You know, and they, they, that's always been the case, but. I always learn learn the learn the ground rules from the bike clubs, and and, and then simple thing was I I it, the rules were very simple, you know. If you if you had a bad mouth, someone would shut it for you, and believe me, somebody's bigger than you all the time. So it was quite easy, you know, to uh, to to. I, I it's funny because as I as I left the club, it was like um, uh, I don't know, like venturing out into the real world again. It was like you know the rules had all changed. So we try to bring a little bit of that into the band, and we still do, you know, respect mm. each other and don't diss each other and, you know, look after each other all the time. You know, a little bit close. We've all, we always have been in the band. And I think when the times get tough is when you show show your true colours, and that's it. We, uh, you know, we seem to thrive on the... Uh, uh, that's why I think we're still going as a as a small band because it is uh, it's it, it's difficult it's difficult to stay on the road in the band you know especially a, a smaller punk band like us you know you still got to get in the van you still got to travel you still got to you know and it, it, it's uh, getting more difficult so the most important ingredient is is uh, you're looking after each other and it's it's uh, we've always done that we've always uh, know how far to push each other know when to shut up and that's the most important thing so it's uh, it's, uh, it's still enjoyable. Still, you know, very, very enjoyable now. So what? So what happened in in there? Uh, you know, you mentioned kind of the, the late eighties and, and early nineties, like skip, skipping up to there as um, as the band sort of wound down for a period. Uh, you know, and you mentioned yeah. uh, you know uh, getting into other things, sort of professionally, and to make a living and that sort of yeah. thing. What um, what was that transition like for you? And and where did you find yourself, kind of in the in the quote unquote 
real world, you know, having having been in the biker culture for so long and then the punk cult yeah. music culture for so long and then all of a sudden you're, you know. Yeah, but the thing is, I, I mean, even even with the bikes, you still have to earn money. You know, it's not all drug dealing and, uh, you know, debauchery. You have to earn money. So I was uh, I, I was a mechanic in a sh- uh, bike shop for a little while, um, but my old man was a builder. So I morphed into the building trade with him. Um, so it fitted in well with traveling when I was with either the bike club. I could actually come and go as I wanted on the building sites and also with the band. You know, we never had money in the band to actually look at in your hand and say, well, I'm going to go and buy myself a motorbike. I mean, if you wanted a bike, you, you had to go and work for it. And that, that was it. So the band was one thing. You know, as we all know, record companies ripping everybody off and same old story, isn't it? You know, it's not um, it's not unusual to, uh, because we, we're uh, going back to this. We're, we're only a small punk band. You know, we might be established now, but as in finances, you know, if you want money for extras, you you earn it. And and the building trade, uh, most of us worked uh, in the band and always have done. Um, So when we down tools in the, uh, I say mid, we we, we were all bored in the mid 80s and we really down tools sort of late late 80s, getting towards um, probably about 88, I think we sort of down tools. And then went into the building trade full time, and that was it. It was a good time to earn money in the building trade. There was, uh, you know, we used to buy properties and do them up, and a whole gang of blokes working with us. It was like being on tour again. Um, load of plumbers, electricians, and all that. We all, we'd all get in the van and bug off and the build houses. Um, so you know, earn money, and it was it was quite an easy transition. Um, coming back to the music scene. Um, was a bit more difficult because, uh, you know, as my wife, because I'm married then, and my wife said, you know, you, you don't earn fuck all in the music business. You know, you're, you're down tall in, you know, from a from a building firm where you, you know, but I built our house we live in, and uh, we were pretty much, uh, you know, stable with our finances. So it enabled me to creep back into the music scene doing the odd show. Um, I only do the music now full time because I don't uh, I don't need to do it in building work. I'm 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 pretty much uh, safe on that now. Mm. But I think um, the the um, early days I had to tread a bit carefully because I I did have I've got three kids and I I did have uh, obviously uh, responsibilities of looking after and make sure they were fed. Um, and then when the recession kicked in, we had a bad recession over here and building trade went tits up and music was uh, very bad in the early 90s, um, trying to get gigs and stuff. Um, I had to go back to my old way. I had to go and work on nightclub doors, get me a kicked in for 50 quid a night. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was that was most unpleasant. I had, but I had to feed the kids and that was it. So, you know, in the building trade, we'd be going through a lull. Like I say, the recession was kicked in and... Uh, Interest rates were shit, and building trade was going down the pan. So, um, uh, yeah, back to the old ways of uh, standing on nightclub doors and uh, fighting gypsies, which is uh, most unpleasant. <laughs> not a way to not a way to earn a living, Ryan. I tell you, <laughs> I had to come home with. I came home in the evenings, my eye done in, and my broken nose and fingers and everything, and uh, 
the wife would say, you're right tonight. I'd go, no, not tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, suffering. I'm suffering tonight. So it was, uh, yeah, but anyway, that was it really. So it was... Um, there's, this, there's the old saying, uh, well, it beats digging ditches. But I think in this case with this job, it doesn't It doesn't beat digging ditches. I think digging ditches no, would be better. <laughs> uh, it was like, I, I see Winston, Winston, our bass player, we used to work on the doors in the early day of the band. Because obviously, uh, no money in the band. So, you know, we're building, we used to bump tiles up on our heads and that on rooftops for building companies or, or working for the old man, humping gear around, or, or and in the evenings working on the doors. So it was something we were quite quite used to. You know, it, um, it's, 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 it's funny to look back at it now, but obviously, you have a picture of a bouncer now. He's a ball bloke. He's a fucking great big bloke, and he's uh, you know he stands there and he don't say anything. You know, but in the old days, all the bouncers that you didn't have any training. It's just if you had a reputation in the town, that's what rest what you did for your money. You know, so mm-hmm. there was always some fucker wanted to prove that your reputation wasn't that good. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, you had to earn your money. But it, 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 again, it was easier back then because you know you'd stand on the door. I hope you didn't get too much of a beating and then get some money at the end of it. So it was, you know, another part of uh, paying the bills really. It, uh, so punk rock, punk rock bands are not all uh, rock and roll to riches, you know. <laughs> In <laughs> so fact, that's, mo- why most we, of that's why we appreciate Metallica, you see, throwing out a few, few inviting me in for a meal. So, oh, governor, God, I haven't eaten for a month, governor. They looked after us. And, and in those early days... Um... You know, and I'm skipping backwards a little bit, but in the early 80s, I know you guys played with, uh, you know, the Exploited, the Damned, the UK Subs. I mean, you yeah. were, you were anti nowhere League was definitely right there in the in the mix with um, a lot of bands that, you know, you probably, none of you were probably aware at the time in any of your bands how influential all of your bands would become. But, um, you know, it's, yeah. I, th- I think it's easier to romanticize from, across the pond, oh, so to speak, <laughs> and think about how cool oh, that must have been. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it's now, because all the names you just mentioned, and we still play in the UK, we have the Rebellion Festivals and that, all, all the same bands are all on it still. Um, it, it, it is, um, um, we all do it now because we, we enjoy it, you know, in the old days, a lot more fisticuffs, obviously, and a lot more hassles, a lot more grief, but nowadays it's it, it's party party, so it's, uh, it, it's quite nice to meet the old guys, you know, we we talk about our families and our motorbikes now, and then it, you know, it, it seems like uh, it's the reward we've got for for hanging on in there. And I think we've all got our own stories to tell. And I think uh, the Anti Nowhere League, when the documentary comes out, will be quite an unusual angle. I think, um, I think it, I, I think it will be. But obviously, I say I'm hoping anyway. <laughs> I know they, I know they filmed so much footage. That um, uh, you know they've been filming for nearly a year now. You know, so there's a fucking lot of footage out there. So I'm hoping that um, you know um, they're going to find a lot to 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 to, to have than than not just sit through sea full sea full of shite. If you know what I mean. You know, <laughs> but I think I think I think it's going to be right. Like, I'm, I'm confident. Now, I think a lot of people, you know, of course, Anti-Nowhere League is, is very well known for So What, but I think people who aren't that familiar with the history of the band may not realize that that was actually a B-side to your first single and that your first single was actually in the top 50 in the UK singles yeah. chart uh, for yeah. you know a month or so. Um, 
well, can you tell me a little bit about that? And then, of course, the, uh, you know, the controversy that swelled over the, the B-side. I mean, people have to remember in, you know, uh, man, the, the late 70s and early 80s especially. I mean, this was even before the PMRC and, and advisory warnings on, on records Absolutely. and things. I mean, you couldn't. Absolutely. It was so much, you know, the Sex Pistols going on a talk show and cursing was like a cultural uh, apocalypse. They are punk rockers. The new craze, they tell me. They're heroes, not the nice, clean Rolling Stones. No one even heard that one, because he was drunk himself, and he wasn't paying attention. When he asked, well, what do you do to money? And I said, we fucking spent it. Well, tell me more about it. We fucking spent it, haven't we? I don't know, have you? Yeah, it's all gone. Really? Down yep. Really? Good mm-hmm. Lord. I'm rotten. He slipped up and said shit under his breath. It's what? Nothing, a rude word. Next question. No, no, what was the rude word? Shit. What is it really? Good heavens, you frightened me to death. Oh, all right. See, what about you girls behind? Right. Are you, uh... <laughs> well, your granddad. Are you worried or are you just enjoying yourself? Enjoying myself. Are you? Yeah. Uh, that's what I thought you were doing. I always wanted to meet you. Did you really? Yeah. Susie, she was just being like, Coy with him. And he said, oh, maybe we'll meet after. We'll meet after, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> you dirty son. <laughs> you dirty old man. Steve completely understood that he was talking to a drunk, as you would a drunk in a pub, and he just topped him. Well, keep going, Chief. Keep going. <laughs> Go on, you've got another five you seconds. Dirt, Say something outrageous. You dirty bastard. I just remember this fucking cunt just started provoking us and we coated him off. Go on, again. <laughs> you dirty fucker. What a clever boy. What a fucking rotter. Well, that's it for tonight. <laughs> you know, like people yeah. people today don't quite understand like how insane no. it was to put out a song like that. Because we came in with the 80s and 81 was when that was released, it was sort of like the backlash of the pistols, I feel. It was like, because they had all sort of finished off and everything. And we thought, hang on a minute, we're all dressed up. We want we want to do this. So it, it came back with a vengeance, like GBH exploited and all that. It came back with a, a really nasty edge to it. And I think we... we we, as the anti Noah League, always found it a little bit funny. Uh, you know, we, we always had a little bit of humour in it, uh, you know, in the side of it. It's, you know, fuck you, fuck you, but ha ha. So it, it always had that little bit of element to it. And I think uh, um, uh, when we came in, in, in uh, and released um, uh, Streets of London, really that was um, um, uh, a little bit humorous. Uh, it was a little bit. They they tried to say we was against. Uh, you know, I mean, every they always try to pin a label on whatever we were doing. But obviously, at the time, they thought it, we were against all the military and stuff. You know, and it, it was all bollocks what they were writing. So the flip side was just a, a literally, well, fuck you. And it really was. It was a song which was written by Magoo and I within minutes of uh, sitting in a pub before we were about to go up to record um, the streets of London um, and listening to this conversation. Uh, and it was a conversation of a couple of fucking twats in a bar. You know, they, oh, I've done this and I've done that. Oh, I've done, you know, and, and <laughs> as one spoke, <laughs> as one spoke, the other one wasn't listening, but just trying to outdo him. We were sitting there listening to this conversation and the other one was going, mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, I've done that, I've done, I've done that. And the other, mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah have, well, I've done, I've done. I, it was the most fucking dullest conversation. I said to my go, fuck me, that's dull, isn't it? And he said, so fucking what? And it really was literally 
bang, bang, bang. It's the most stupidest things we could think of, you know, I'll, I'll fuck this and I'll fuck that, so fucking what, you know. Because it, it, this conversation was getting more stupid and stupid. So we wanted the song to be the most fucking stupidest song. And, and two fingers up on the flip side of Ralph McTell. Um, <laughs> but we didn't, didn't realise, I mean, we didn't realise, because, you know, it was going to cause so much controversy for the record company because you, you, you don't. You know, you think, oh, you're going to do it, and all, oh, it'll be fun, it'll be fun, you know, fuck them, fucking it's fun. But obviously, financially-wise, the record company... Yeah, lost a load of money, load of trouble, load of hassle over it. And obviously that's when we were putting out the We Are The League album. So we had to keep redoing the lyrics of that. If they wouldn't print it, none of the print uh, presses would print all any of our records after that. And then we were meant to go up to Top of the Pops and play that. And then they kicked us off of there because I... Well, that's another story. But they they, they, they did want... They said they'd allow the anti Noah League to go on to Top of the Pops, providing I didn't bring an axe with me. I, mean, I know it's an old <laughs> story now, and everybody knows this story, who knows the anti noah League, but, I mean, that was a red rag to the ball. I thought, there's no fucking way I'm going to go out there. Yes, sir, no, sir, I won't bring me axe, sir. So I stuck the axe up my jack- jacket, see? And I had it inside my leather jacket, because we, we walked in there, and then, you know, he's only realised when I, we got through the, through the, actually into the BBC buildings that I was carrying this axe. Because they all shit themselves then and said, fuck me, he's got that accent, you know, and obviously locked us into our dressing room and wouldn't, wouldn't let us out. And it was, uh, it's all in the documentary about how we nearly got in a fight with our bands up there and all that. And they would try to throw us out of the building. They fog marked us out of the building. And uh, anyway. Well, you know what's so great about that is the, uh, is, is the is there's a nice through line from you and the axe in the leather jacket on top of the pops to in the 90s um kind of the peak of metallica at some would argue their most commercial you know after they'd cut their hair and so on and they went on to i think it was the mtv europe awards and they were supposed to play their new single and unbeknownst to everyone at mtv they launched into so what instead metallica And I think that they it really uh, is two fingers up, isn't it? Yeah, I mean I it's it, it's anti nowhere league on top of the pops, right? You know, yeah. fifteen years later, Mate, it, it never ceases to amaze me that you know. I mean, over the years, so many yeah, young bands. It, it, it's a bit, it's a bit like the song has become a bit like um, you know when a guitarist starts playing, he plays the old riff, doing bum bum bum, smoke on the water, bum bum bum. It's a bit like it with a punk. It's da 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 da. You know, they actually cannot stop themselves, and it, and it is, it's it's a lovely. I get weekly things of young bands saying, do you mind if we record it? Do you mind if we record it? You know, and I say, good luck to you, mate. I, you know, the only thing is, it'll, it'll stamp your old card and you won't get fuck all in life. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, they, they, you know, they, they get such a... And I've always said this with the ants, you know, and even Metallica, I think Lars was saying to me that, you know, they were in the audience when we played in 1980 in, in LA somewhere. Uh, I think even James, I think, were in the audience and they, they were looking up, you know, and then me throwing myself about on the face telling everyone to fuck off. And, and like you, you don't realise that these people, and I think these people, but a lot of people, um, and, and myself included, you know, you look at a band who's, I will say, you know, raw, 
raw, un, untalented rawness. You know, it's like a letting a bull out of a, uh, out of a, into a ball ring. You don't know what's going to happen. You really don't. So, you, you, you know, you, you open the door and you, you open this fucking raging ball, out it comes, and you wait to see what happens. And, and it's a bit like that with the Anti-Lower League. You're not quite sure what's going to happen. You know, the equipment can fuck up, everything can fuck up, the fight can start, everyone can say, you can like, start kicking off, and you, you know, and everyone, it's, it, it's more inspirational, I feel. For, for bands saying, oh, I can do that, oh, I can, then they're going to watch Genesis. Or, you know, right, it, it, right. It, it, it's a lot more in your face and it's like, fuck, I can do that. And I think more people come along to a band like the anti League and start a band than they do ever going to watch, um, you know, Coldplay or anything, you know, which is happening. I don't think you go along to Coldplay, sing along to it and say, I'm going to start a band. <laughs> I just don't think it happens to you. <laughs> it just don't happen. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty chuffed that, uh, you know, we, we inspired a lot of people who, who rightly and probably do, as we know with Metallica, go up and do it better. But it, it, it's still the rawness of, of that charging balls is still at an anti Noeli concert. And it, is, um, it always will be until I'm dead. And it's as simple as that. I look at every show I go into just like, I, you know, I'm going into the ring. And that's it. I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, you, you pet me down and off I go. You know, you wind mm-hmm. me up and then I'll go. And, you know, and that's mm-hmm. it. And, you know, I don't know who I am a quarter of an hour after a show. I don't, know, I don't even know who I am. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's a crazy experience. And I think this is what um, was gave us longevity, I think, um, on, the, on the underground world of punk is that we still get into a, a small venue and uh, put blood, sweat, and snot on the ceiling. So it's, uh, you know. it's crazy to think about, you know, how much we celebrate um, individual liberty and, and free speech and so on in in Western countries, and particularly the UK and the United States, and then to imagine that in 1981 there was still something, you know, there was a police squad called the Obscene you know, what was it, obscene publication yeah. squad or something like that. And like the idea yeah, that that was a, it. you know, that that was something that, that the cops actually did is just. Well, yeah. The thing is, I find now though, Ryan, is, which, which I find, you know, uh, it's a bit, always upsetting to me because at the end of the day, I'm still at that age, I think, oh, fuck you, you don't know I me, mean? yeah, fuck it, I don't care anyway. I never have done, but it is a little bit because of the, the, you know, the keyboard warriors nowadays. Um, that they can beat me with a stick of a song I wrote many, many years ago, and they can beat me with that stick now. I, I find, you know, if I wrote a song years ago about something, you should keep it in that period, you know. And if you if you like the song, it belongs in that period. It, it's not like um, you know, I said something. Well, I said a lot of things in 1980. You know, <laughs> but if you start hitting me with that stick now, as I'm a, a you know a, 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 an elderly gentleman, you know, you can't hit me with that stick. You know, you can hit me with a stick of the lyrics I write now, but you can't hit me with those. And I find that a little bit, you know, I think, well, fuck me, mate. If you was back in the eighties, you would fucking understand what it was about. But you get some young fucking kid, eighteen, against against it. Well, if they don't like me, they don't like me. But when they use a handle, you know, they use a handle of something I've said back in 1980, I find that a little bit, I feel like, you know, oh, fuck you, you know. If I see you on the fucking street, mate, I'll fucking... Anyway, I don't do that. And those are, and those are the people you will never see on the street. <laughs> they wouldn't, yeah, they, they would, they they wouldn't know how to even find the street, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But 
it's uh, it, it, it's I, I still like the the punk rebellion shows. I, do, I still like the yeah. sort of festivals as well as the small shows. So so yeah, to me, punk is 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 is, is uh, you know is, is ripe and, and and doing well. I I, I just think um, people know that when bands like us have cast off our mortal coil, um, there won't be others. There, there yes. won't be others yes. because everything, uh, everybody is so controlled now, and they can't say, they can't do, they can't be, they can't, you know. And if you get a bleating out of most people, all they want to be is a rock star. They just want to be a rock star, you know. They got no idea of how to fucking tread the boards up in Newcastle or fucking Glasgow, getting your head kicked in, or by like the fucking mad Scottish people or something. They got no idea. <laughs> so you know, I think those days are going to be gone when it's, um, you know. When we're gone, so we'll be, you know, in your face music. So that's, yeah, that's what I think. I absolutely yeah. agree. I you couldn't couldn't have couldn't have articulated that better, my friend. It's uh, so yeah. so true. And and it, you know, and, and I think that there's something that, uh, you know, like a lot of comedians will say, um, you know, there's not there's nothing less funny than a joke that has to be explained. Yeah. And I think uh, you know to, to parse through. Yeah. Uh, not just the anti nowhere league, but a lot of bands of the era and a lot of bands of that spirit, and to try to hold it to a standard outside of that context, it's just, it's nonsense. Oh, it's right. the it, it's the yeah. same as uh, you know, I mean, look, we celebrate in our culture today. A lot of us, um, you know, NWA, for example. I, you know, there was a big movie about NWA and Ice Cube. You know, stars and family comedies, and. He was writing some of the most aggressively homophobic and misogynist and violent lyrics, and we're able to look at that and contextualize it and say, "Well, this was here's all of the uh, extenuating circumstances around it, and kind of take it for what it is, right or wrong, for better or worse." And I don't know, I don't know why we couldn't apply that same set of uh, you know that same lens to to punk and to all sorts of art. It's art. Well, you know, at the end yeah, of the day, it's, well, it's, it's expression. That's exactly it. You know, when you, when you start analysing uh, lyrics out of context of time and stuff, then obviously it, it's uh, those days are gone. I don't have to say to people, I'm just a fucking dinosaur. I am, you know, I'll be fucking dead and gone soon. Nobody give a fuck anyway, so it won't matter. You know, but, but it is a, it, it's a shame that, well, not a shame, because that's, that's the wrong word to say, because people come along to our show, we, we get the, a whole lot of new people coming along all the time. They're not all just old people who come along just for nostalgia. We've got a whole new people who just still understand what rock is, 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 is blood, sweat and snot, you know, and it, it, it's uh, and the old saying, the devil's got the best music. I said, we know, you know, it, it, it comes from the gut, the best music, so it's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, still, it's still turning a few people on. But I think, uh, like I said earlier, um, when the, when that reason is gone, I think people now are so uh, other bands, are, are, are up and coming bands, they're so obsessed with um, uh, of how how they look, how they how they be, how they, they, there's no there's no real real guts in there. It's, it's, there's a frame without any guts inside it. And it's uh, it's a bit of a shame because other young kids say, "What do you think? What advice do you give me? What advice is it?" I say, "Fucking grow a pair, mate, and get out of fucking threaten somebody." <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, yeah. perfect. I mean, because you know, one of the things uh, I think it was Ricky Gervais. I think it was an interview I saw with him where he was talking about a study, like a university study, um, 
you know, where they'd asked a bunch of, of students and a bunch of kids what they wanted to be when they grew up. And the number one answer was famous. And it used to at least be, you know, <laughs> famous rock star, famous doctor, famous scientist. Yeah. Fam- you know, now and now it's just famous for its own sake. And yeah. that says a lot, it, like it, you said, about there's no in, there's yeah. no insides to that skeleton. I don't. I, in, a, in a funny way, how old are you, Ryan? What uh, sort of age uh, are you? Forty four. So I was uh, okay. So when you were on stage in Wim- at Wembley, I was a senior in high school and uh, wow, you know, getting okay. getting into go. getting into trouble myself and uh, and and listening but, to Metallica yeah. all the time. But I think you will appreciate that you know this. This is an end of an era. You 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 you've seen the beginning and you will see the Absol- end. Of, uh, absolutely. Of, of, of I mean, this. I mean, look, my my you know I'm I'm very into metal and punk and I'm very into comedy. And I can tell you one of the things that shaped me as a child uh, was, I mean, when I was, you know, 10, 11 years old, um, MTV used to show reruns of The Young Ones on Saturday nights at like 2, oh, my, at like yeah, two in the yeah. morning. Vivian, this is my bedroom! Oh, yeah? Yes! I was here first! You got any witnesses? Look, I don't need witnesses. Just get off my property! No! Get out! <laughs> brother and I would either stay up late for it or we would videotape it. And I used to watch videotapes of young ones episodes. This, you got to imagine this is a kid in Indiana yeah. in the early eighties yeah. and uh, seeing yeah. motorhead and madness and, um, yeah. and just the, the characters and the humor. And yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I, yeah. I, I feel very lucky and very blessed, honestly, to yeah. have. She's funny. You know, there again, that's another show. You, you, they couldn't make that nowadays right. because it, it, it's politically incorrect, isn't it? So it's like you've seen the end of something else again. You know, it's uh, you'll only see us on the reruns, as they say. Indeed. Uh, Indeed. Or was it was it Arnie who said that on uh, one of his films? You'll only see me on. I'll be back. You'll only see me on the reruns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's and, and, it. That's it. That's it, mate. Julian. I'll be back. Only in a rerun. And, and isn't it why, I mean, you mentioned you have three kids. I've got two. Um, are you, how, what ages are your kids now? Well, uh, this is another little story. My oldest daughter, 28, she's been married. Wow. Uh, she works for the BBC. It's another little story because I had to, I had to take her along to the BBC for, for her interview. And she said, oh, Dad, will you come in? Uh, you know, and I went, no, I'll wait outside because last time I went in there, I was frog marched <laughs> out of the building carrying an axe. <laughs> she said, they won't remember that. I said, yeah, but just imagine if I walked in there with you and somebody come out, oh, are you? I chucked you out 30 years ago. Go on, sod off, you know. <laughs> Did you wouldn't get the job, would you? So she got the job, obviously, in, in their research <laughs> in the BBC. And uh, she married um, uh, a presenter, 
um, one of BBC presenters. Um, and uh, I'm now a grandfather, which is lovely. Um, wow. But, um, yeah, I've watched, uh, you know, his career grow more and more. And I've um, obviously kept a quiet profile myself because I didn't want to diss anything him or my daughter were doing in the BBC. So uh, <laughs> I just watched them slowly. Yes, mate, I have to be a bit careful <laughs> because the old man's reputation sometimes precedes him and, uh, you know, it can be a bit... Bit, uh, bit. It was very easy when my, cause I, and I've also got another daughter, 26, and my son's 24. So, but it was very easy with my daughters when they were younger, of any, um, any, should we say, up and coming boyfriends. They were a little bit worried. <laughs> they were a little bit concerned coming around my house. You know, they used to be um, very polite to me. They yes sir, no sir, because um, I say you fuck with my daughter, you mess my daughter up, you'll be. <laughs> So they got quite used to standing there very politely in front of me, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, that's all another part of the book, but uh, yeah. me being a father, which was quite, uh, um, well, it, 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 it's another thing for my, um, uh, you know, therapy. I, I needed, I, my family background was not, uh, not that good. As most people's wasn't many years ago. So uh, to have, uh, you know, to have, to have a family was something I needed. So, uh, yeah. And Touchwood, it's been very good, very good for me. They still allow me to ride my bike, and I'm still allowed to go out in punk bands. I'm still allowed to do things that they haven't changed. The old man is always known when I come in and out on the bike and stuff like that. And then, <laughs> you know, I'm part of the furniture around here now. <laughs> yeah, I love right. it. I love it. And yeah, I can't. Well, I can't wait to read the book because I, I love the idea of you know your. <laughs> I did want to call it the Iron Butterfly, but they went off that because it, it was just the fact that it was um, the way I flitted from different things through my life. From, from, from you know, because I, I, I on the estate I had a really bad lisp and I couldn't pronounce my my s's really badly. Um, and of course, that was uh, always a point for being bullied. So uh, I, I was a uh, you know, uh, I didn't have a pleasant young. Uh, upbringing in a way of uh, being bullied, but so to join with the skinheads and that was, uh, like I say, was um, was a safety thing. But uh, yeah. and then I just hanging around with hard boys and I just carried on doing that. And it was just something that I found it was uh, it was easier for me to hang out with 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 hard geezers than it was uh, not so tough people. I don't I don't really I don't really understand uh, a lot of people. So um, I, I understand the bad side Indeed. I understand the wild side of life should we say yeah. I, I think I think a lot of us who are from broken families you know we we yeah. we come to understand that family is what you make it you can make your own family and whether that's in the you know be, being a, a, a skinhead in the late 60s early 70s or being in a bike club or yeah. being in a punk in the punk rock scene or on oh, a right. road crew with a band or in the military or wherever you find that yeah. uh, that family until you can build it for yourself yeah. you know you do learn from your parents, there's no doubt about it, and you can either follow them or you can reject them. So, you know, you learn. It's up to yourself to learn. But uh, I, re- I, I went the other way. I, 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 I uh, you know, I'm lucky. My, my, my kids have turned out good. They've all got good jobs, all accountants and things. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, see, I married a school teacher. That's what you do, you see, if I'm somebody <laughs> who's a school teacher. <laughs> Then, then I can just fuck off on my bike, and she does the teaching. So it, it worked out well. That was I. 
and that, and that and that had to be great for the uh, for the daughters to casually mention to the potential boyfriends when they say, "Oh, what your what's your dad carry around a, carry around an axe or something?" And they go, "No, actually, he, he literally does." <laughs> and, <laughs> Believe me, there's like millions of funny stories here. Especially when they had parties and stuff, but I won't uh, won't bore all the details of that. But uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I think it was very healthy. I think it's very healthy. I, you know, they all knew I was a bit of a crazy guy, and it, 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 they'd be talking too much to them. So it was, yeah, it was quite easy. Win-win in yeah. all situations. Well, well, listen, it's been so great talking to you. And I, when uh, when can we expect the book? Do you do you have any idea, well, kind of roughly? It, I was talking to my manager the other day. See, I wanted to put it on ice for a bit because obviously there's a lot of legal things in there, and there's a lot of things I'm not, you know, the guys that, you know, if I'm going to say the truth, whole truth. I don't want to upset you know, my clubs and mates of mine and stuff. So I, I wanted to sit on it for a little bit, but my manager seems to think I should put it out with a documentary, mm. in because it is finished um, in uh, July, August. So I'm just going to go back over it again to just have a look and see whether I feel um, it's the right time or not. Um, my daughter said, Dad, give it to me because, you know, when you're dead, I know what to do with it. <laughs> it's like the... Uh... I, I, I don't know if I want to wait until I die for it comes out. But I, I think what it'll do is come out hand in hand with a documentary around about August. Um, if I can just get my act together and just go through it again with a fine tooth comb to make sure that I'm not... Uh, pissing off the wrong people, you know, and and doing something stupid, which uh, I might regret. So, uh, but, I, you know, it, it, it is uh, the truth, the whole truth again. So, you know, it's very hard to try and say the truth, if, if you know, without saying the truth, isn't it? So it's uh, it's going to be one of those things I'll, um, a couple of weeks' time, I know whether it's going to come out or not, but it will be out at some point before I'm in a nursing home. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do the, the Mark Twain, what was no, it where? Mark Twain had the autobiography that was what was it a hundred years after his death? <laughs> he had he, he had some kind of legal contract that you know when it would yeah. be released. Um, I think I think with my my book though, though Ryan, it, it, it's not whether I I had the legal side; it's whether I end up with concrete boots or not. <laughs> or, or popping, popping up one of the popping up one of the motorways under London somewhere, which was uh, what I don't want to do. But, uh, Indeed. Um, but, did you uh, ever? We'll did, see. We'll did, see. Did you end up uh, settling on a title after the Iron Butterfly? Uh, well, I, I wanted to. There's many things, you know. My manager keeps saying it should be just animal, and but I, I wanted one. One, the Iron Butterfly went through different things, and the other one was the uh, um, we don't serve your kind here. Because I, I was sold that so many times, going mm. into pubs, going into places. We don't serve your kind here. I was used to it from an early age. Yeah. And I just, it just seemed right to me. So I, I'm toying with that at the moment. But obviously, uh, you know, the manager pushing for just, just animal. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I like that we don't serve your kind here because it, um, it, it's sort of not a double entendre, but it, but, but it, has, it has a lot Absolutely. of multiple meanings. You know, I mean, and it can be. Absolutely. It can be from go, from going into pubs to uh, being kicked off top of the pops to um, it, it has the lyrics. So many and, times, yeah, yeah, so many times, mate. I, I just feel I should have it tattooed on me somewhere. <laughs> it was. It, it reminds me of uh, what was Johnny Rotten's book? Uh, no, no blacks, no, no dogs, no Irish. That's it. And yeah, and people it does have that ring to it, doesn't it? Yeah, and if you don't understand what it means, it, it's 
but if you but if you yeah. but if you know you know if that makes sense you know what i mean yeah. that's, that's what's great about it well you might have just twisted my arm a little bit more so i think <laughs> uh, i should go back with with the manager and just um, stake my case stronger than what he what is it so uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see but, uh, perfect happy to be of oh, service we'll make a decision soon. happy to be of service and okay. i'll and I'll, uh, and I'll have to have you on again if 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 you if you're up for it when uh, when the documentary's out and the book is out and fantastic yes, mate. just awesome. give us a shout that's that they probably got my email now they got my number so it's, uh, yeah thank you ryan all right and uh yeah thanks for asking asking me to do it and i'll uh, i'll talk to you soon my pleasure you can check out the old school music video for so what on the speak and destroy youtube channel I've curated some great playlists, including a bunch of the original versions of songs Metallica has covered, including Anti-Nowhere League, Diamond Head, Budgie, The Misfits, Nick Cave, Thin Lizzy, and more. I've used a combination of official music videos, killer live recordings, and straight studio offerings. There's also a playlist of Metallica doing a whole host of covers, including many that have never been released officially or on the record, like their version of TVI by The Stooges. It's easy to find, just look up Speak and Destroy on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or head over to speakanddestroy.com. While you're at it, please, if you haven't already, head over to iTunes or wherever you consume podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and a nice little review. The more of these we get, the higher the visibility for the show and the more people can discover Speak and Destroy. Speak and Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. Check out our past episodes with great guests like Rex Brown from Pantera, David Elveson of Megadeth, Lizzie Hale from Hailstorm, Rob Flynn of Machine Head, M. Shadows of Avenged Sevenfold, and many more, all talking about the greatest band in the world. Also check out my sister podcast, No Prize from God, which features conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. Speaking to Destroy friendly guests who have appeared on there include Dwid Hellion from Integrity, Jesse Leach from Killswitch Engage, Matty Mullins of Memphis Mayfire, Blackie Lawless of Wasp, Max Cavalera of Soulfly, and many more. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. As always, you guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downey.